You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. There's a scene in the new Lion King where Simba, I believe is his name, is ran away. He's ran away from his past. He felt like he led to the death of his father. And this lion is running away when another lion comes to get him. And there's this baboon, this kind of a a spiritual type dynamic to it, who looks at Simba and says, you have forgotten who you are. You are your father. And he tells him to look. And he's looking at his reflection in a pool of water. And all of a sudden he can see his father looking back at him. And he realizes his place and that he is the king. And he goes back to deal with the evil and he sets the land free. And that's really in some ways as I listened to that, Sheila and I, we were watching this. It is such a picture of Jesus. You know, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah who sets us free and reclaims what evil and sin sought to destroy, our enemy, Satan. And um, I pray today that you have the Lion of the tribe of Judah, God's Holy Spirit living in you. And when we sing these songs, you, you just can't help but, you know, tear up. You took my place. The older you get, the more you realize you're just depending on the grace, the mercy, the unfailing love of Jesus. See it. It's the only hope we got. <laughs> hey, I've tried to do the best I can. My best ain't good enough. So uh, I'm depending on Jesus completely, totally. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we love you. And Lord, uh, we so often come into this place. We are taken to your throne through praise and worship and Lord, we, uh, we are drawn together, as Reggie said a moment ago so well, we are pulled together regardless of our color, our ages, our socioeconomic status, our education. We are drawn together and we seem in so many ways to be just a united body of believers in Christ. Now, Lord, I, I couldn't help but smile and think about uh, football. Uh, Lord, I love football and I love the Super Bowl and it's such a joy to watch Patrick Mahomes come out of the tunnel and (laughs) run to the end zone, drop his knees and pray. And when the battle was over and the Super Bowl had been won, coming from unbelievable odds and defeating his opponent, as he was being interviewed, you look there to his right, and there is a African-American man. He's weeping. And Patrick Mahomes puts his hand up and stops the interview and says, excuse me, my dad's here. And they embraced and they hugged. And Lord, one day when we get home, our Heavenly Father will wrap his arms around us as we come out of the battle fighting for the souls of men and women and boys and girls and stepping in the gap and 
standing for the kingdom of God, one day we'll see the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will wrap his arms around us and he will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, we come to the difficult subject today again of parenting. And for every parent in this room and everyone who will listen by way of podcast, dear Lord, we pray that they can be encouraged to fight the fight. And Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me. Lord, if there be any thought or deed, any word that's come out of my mouth, Lord, I pray that you would cover me by the blood of Jesus and let me be a tool in your hand and be with Reggie as he leads our children today in Children's Church. Guide and direct that ministry. And Lord, we'll give you the praise, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. The kids are going to make their way. And while they're doing that, I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages, but I want you to take your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, in a single verse there, verse 52, Luke chapter 2, um, verse 52, and I don't know about you, but I am real tired today. Uh, in fact, uh, when I get emotional, sometimes I get, uh, uh, it's because I'm just tired, it's been a tough few days, so I'm kind of wore out, and you may be there as well. But anyway, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, this single verse. Now we're going to be looking at some other passages in the Bible. And I, I've titled these two sermons, Failure to Launch, and this is part two. Now last week we began with a video, and the video was of the, of the 1986, January 1986, the Challenger disaster in which the space shuttle blew up and 73 seconds into flight and all the people were lost. More particularly, there was a a teacher. And uh, that teacher's parents were there, students were there, and we watched in this coverage as those parents realized that their daughter on that flight, her life had been lost. At first, they were in awe. And let me tell you this, I've, I've, if you've ever, a Saturn V rocket, if a Saturn V rocket, and I remember it well growing up around that environment, a Saturn V rocket, when it fires up, if it were in Brandon, it would shake this building to where you would think it was coming down. It is an unbelievable spectacle of power. And you watch this, these parents as they go from being enamored and called up into the moment of, and a few minutes later, grieving the loss. You know, the failure to launch. And for every young parent in the room, that's the goal. You're trying to prepare your children for adulthood, and and sometimes it can be very difficult. Now, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? And the Bible kind of, Luke kind of sums it up. Remember, Luke's a physician, Luke is uh, doing a lot of his research. He's writing these two letters, Luke and Acts, make up one-fourth of the entire New Testament. He's writing to Theophilus, who's a public political figure who has converted to Christianity. But Luke sums up Jesus and parenting and Mary and Joseph 
when he says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now let's pray again. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, last week I, uh, I, I started off by just giving you a couple of warnings. And I basically said this, that you and I need to be, we need to understand something. If you want to ruin your family, if you want to ruin your marriage, ruin your family, and affect your children, just, have, just commit adultery. You get caught up in an adult, and ladies, listen to me, men, listen to me. That flirting, that carrying on, you know what I'm talking about. If you want to ruin your family, you want to destroy your family, you just get involved in an adulterous relationship. And I'm going to tell you, you stay as far away as you can with anybody who's coming on to you. If you're a mom or a dad or you're a married man or woman, you need to stay away from that. Adultery, and I, and I said, you know, I can't say it enough. You know, it happens a lot in our day. And so be very, very careful. We also talked about authority. And I, and I talked about, I took you over to Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, do you remember, it tells the story of Moses going up on the mountain. And while he's receiving the Ten Commandments, Aaron is in, responsible for the supervision of the people. Aaron uh, begins to want to please the people. And the people manipulate him, they, they overpower him, they take the authority away from him. And the outcome is, is that Aaron gives in to the whims of the people and uh, he relinquishes his parental, his uh, kind of a parental authority to the people and he makes this, uh, this golden calf. And when Moses comes down, Moses says to Aaron, you have perverted these people, meaning that you've allowed these people to run wild you forfeited your leadership, your authority, and the outcome of this was that throughout the Old Testament, just about the entire Old Testament, the people are called up and going to a place called Dan and Bethel. They call them the high places. And in those places was the golden calf. They continued to be caught up in idolatry until the Babylonian captivity. So the reality is, as parent, you cannot relinquish if you, hey, listen, if you think your responsibility is to entertain your children, to please your children, then they're the parent, you're the child. They're the authority in the home and not you. Once you, parent, relinquish the authority, your God-given authority over to where your children are making their own decisions when they're not mature enough to make their own decisions, then the reality is you have forfeited forfeited your role, your authority as a parent. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So that's important. Now, I want to scare you for a minute. Do you mind if I scare you for a minute? I want to scare all you young parents. But I want to talk about some of the, what I call dangerous trends. And I'm just going to kind of read through some things. And, and I want you to listen for a moment, okay? Now, according to market research, and this was conducted by uh, an organization called ChildWise, in 2015, kids today, ages 5 to 16, are averaging 6.5 hours a day on their phones or on screen time, screen time. So today, kids 5 to 16 average 6.5 hours a day screen time. Teenagers, 
boys eight hours a day, which means that your son is spending about three months out of his year on screen time, video, phone. Since 1995, it's increased 116%. That's taking in TV. Tweens, tweens are preteen. They spend less time outside than prisoners in our penal system in America. Isn't that shocking? So all you people that never let your kids go outside, you're afraid something's going to happen to them. They're like prisoners. Prisoners spend more time outside than the average preteen today. Richard Love, or Lou, I can't remember how exactly you pronounce it, he wrote a book called Lost Child in the Woods. And he called it, now Tamara, you may be familiar with this, he calls it Nature Deficit Disorder, in which children are spending less time outside and the, and the consequences of that in their mental and their emotional development. In other words, we're just beginning to see some of the social issues that are developing because children are spending eight hours a day, three months out of their year, watching TV or looking at their phones. But he called it, he called it nature deficit disorder. And he said the reason it's happening is because, number one, parental fear. Number two, homework. Now, I may be wrong here, and I may make some teachers mad. But I tell you what, it's ridiculous if people are spending two hours at night doing homework. And all God's people said, <laughs> except for Emily, Emily Williams. She's giving me the stink eye right now. No, I'm teasing. You agree, Emily? She agrees. There you go. Here's your school teacher. She agrees. She's with me. See, Courtney got mad. She didn't even come up here. Now, we may have some other school teachers. But homework. And then finally, the big one is screen time. In other words, children are watching TV now on their phone three months out of the year. Your boys are, and all children, 6.5 hours a day. So children are experiencing what he calls nature, nature deficit disorder. One in four kids believe video games are exercise. Four in five tweens are on social media by the age of 10. Studies reveal that the more time children spend in social media, the less happy they are and, they're more, and the more they're going to battle with depression. Six in 10 tweens are sleep deprived. Ask your school teachers about that. Six in ten tweens are sleep deprived. Three in five, ages two to eleven, don't have a regular bedtime. The lack of sleep today is becoming so widespread in primary schools that it is resulting in severe behavioral issues and just a lack of academic um, prowess in the school. And, other, and, and a lot of it is due, once again, to screen time that now goes into the night. Experts are saying that screen time, watching TV, looking at a computer, looking at a telephone, number one, is overstimulation of the brain. The brain is not relaxing and disengaging right up to the time children are going to bed because they're constantly 
putting this material into their brain. Their brain's trying to process it. Number one, overstimulation of the brain. Number two, blue light emitted from screens, and many of us have heard that, tricks the body into thinking that it's daytime. So your body calendar, children now, are not clear biologically when daytime and nighttime is. The average age now to get a phone, a smartphone, again, is 10.3 years of age. And the reason that's going down, anybody want to guess the reason that it's going down? Why is it getting younger and younger ages? Now remember, I can pull up pornography on this. Why is it getting younger and younger? Let me give you some reasons. What? Okay, good answer. But let me say, the reason that it's going down, the number one reason is because parents are trying to protect what? Their own phones. So parents are protecting their own phones by giving their kids phones. So if I give my kid a phone, then he leaves my phone alone so I can do what I want to with it. Cyberbullying. Cyberbullying. Listen to the effects. And, and for much of this, Tamara could get up here and give this. The common effects of cyberbullying today, which is happening a lot on social media, children are feeling overwhelmed, they feel targeted, they feel vulnerable, powerless, they feel exposed, they feel hum humiliated, they feel dissatisfied with who they are, they feel angry, vengeful, they feel disinterested in life. They feel alone, they feel isolated, they're disinterested in school, they're anxious, they're depressed, they're sick, they're suicidal. One in five children today have mental illness. It's on the rise. 43% of children today are diagnosed with ADHD. And the repercussions on boys growing up is astronomical. You know, I made a statement yesterday, and I was asked about this today. Um, do not look boys in the eye when you're disciplining, well, when you're parenting. You know, you don't look a boy in the eye. And somebody said, well, that's strange. And I watched Beth Bowman. Beth Bowman was sitting over there, and she kind of did like this. She kind of looked inquisitive, and then she went, it was like a light came on. She raised two boys. And then all of a sudden she said, that's true. My best conversations with my boys was when we were driving in the car. I was driving and I was just talking to my boys and before long they were leaning up trying to listen and we were involved in this conversation because when you look at boys and you make them look you in the eye, look me in the eye when I'm talking to you, to a boy that means you're lording it over them. It's like you're a boss talking to an employee and it's intimidating and it'll cause a boy to shut down. I don't, hey, listen, I don't like it to this day. Ask Sheila. Sheila will look at me and say, look, look at me. I'm trying to talk to you. I said, I'm listening to you. Leave me alone. Uh, you know, but, but um, cyberbullying. One in five, mental illness. 43% ADHD. Medicated boys as far exceeds that of girls. 37%, listen to this, parent. 30, hey, young parent. You're on the easy part now. 37% increase in teen depression. 100% increase in suicide rate between 10 to 14 years of age. 
what's wrong. One writer, one doctor made this statement. This is a conglomeration of doctors, people in the field that Tamara's in, psychiatrists, psychologists, those who sociologists. They say children are being deprived. Listen to this, number one reason. Emotionally available parent. What do you mean by that? This is what I mean by that. How many parents, you go into a restaurant, go to Chick-fil-A, look at most moms, look at most dads, go to most restaurants, look at the car line, if they've got a child in the backseat. They're either watching a screen, while mom's also watching a screen. We're checking Facebook, Twitter, we're looking at Instagram. We're so busy, we're totally not plugged into their life. Number one reason, doctors say children are being deprived of emotionally available parents. Number two, clearly defined limits and guidance. Number three, no responsibility. They're not taught any responsibility. Number four, balanced nutrition and sleep. They have, we're throwing fast food back there at them while we're on the run. Not adequate sleep. Movement outdoors, we already said it. The tweens today do not spend as much time outside as those at Parchman. Number five, movement outdoor. Number six, creative play, social interaction, opportunities for unstructured times and boredom. Parent, did you hear that? Instead, children are served, number one, digitally detract, distracted parents. Number two, indulgent parents who let their kids do whatever they want. They just let them rule. Number three, a sense of entitlement rather than responsibility. Number four, inadequate sleep and unbalanced nutrition. That keeps coming up. We're unhealthy. We're unhealthy and our kids are unhealthy. Sedentary indoor lifestyle, number five. Number six, endless stimulation. Technological babysitters, instant gratification, and an absence of dull moments. Isn't that strange? You keep hearing that. We're not bored. You know sometimes your kid needs to be bored? Hey, you want to see a child that can entertain themselves? Titus. Titus is just in his own world. Ethan, Ethan's not going to mess a beat. Ethan's plugged into the adult conversation. You got to be careful. Caleb, he's just in his own world. He's just a happy-go-lucky guy. But let me tell you, Titus, Titus is he, he's 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 playing by himself. You ever see those kids that play by themselves? You know, you know, your responsibility is not to entertain or to keep your children busy. They have to learn. To develop some of those skills. That's just good. Doctors, sociologists, everybody saying it's good for the mind. Sometimes, sometimes it's good for the mind just to disengage. Mine doesn't. I look at Sheila and I say, What are you thinking? Nothing. <laughs> I remember when the kids were small and they'd be acting horrible. And they'd be screaming. I mean, acting, I mean, it'd be bedlam. It would be just absolutely chaotic. And I would finally look at her, and she, she could be knitting or reading a book or drinking the floaties after the kids and the Coke bottle. I mean, you know, she would just, and I, I look and say, do you hear them? What? You don't hear them? 
That's not bothering you. Say what? I, God just, I thank God God made you that way. Doctor said, how do you fix it? You know, it's real practical. Number one, good nutrition. Hey, parent, why don't you get control of your health this year? Why don't you make some good decisions about your health, how you eat, how you exercise, how you live your life? In fact, let me challenge you to do this. Why don't you spend as much time on your health as you do on your phone? Because you get a weekly report, don't you? My watch tells me I'll be on the rowing machine. I see you're on the rowing machine. And it starts beeping every time I get a certain amount of time. You know, it's amazing the technology that we have today. Doctors say this, nutrition, number two, fix, have at least one hour in green space, which means put your kids outside, outdoors. Number three, tech-free meals. Did you hear that? What does tech-free meals mean? It means nobody, mom, dad, nobody brings a phone to the table. This is a tech-free zone. We're going to sit down as a family. Now, you, listen, you've got a pastor. A few years ago, I, you remember? I had a children's bedroom set over here. I had a master bedroom set. I had a living room, a uh, kitchen. We've, you know, we put it all the way around the perimeter, and we talked about how to build and establish order to your home and how to make it a place of refuge. Your home is a harbor from the storms. Listen, when kids get home, their idea ought to be, man, I'm home, I'm safe, I'm in, a, I'm in a harbor here. It may be stormy out there, but I'm safe here. My friend, listen, a lot of homes are anything but a harbor. Doctors are warning us. They say board games. Listen to this, number four, board games every day. Play sorry. Monopoly, life. Number five, at least one chore a day. Every child needs a chore. They need a responsibility because you're teaching them responsibility, accountability, so that they can transition from childhood to adulthood. Number, uh, number six, implement consistent sleep routines. Well, they're going to be able to get ready. I can tell what your love life is like. I, I'll be honest with you. I wanted the kids in the bed. Because I wanted to go to bed. Man, that means you're involved in that as well. Uh, number seven, teaching responsibility. Teaching independence. Don't overprotect your children from a small Failures, let them fail. It trains them in life skills to overcoming some of the challenges of life. And you may say, well, I can't get all this. That's right. If you're going to listen to something on your phone, pull this up and listen to it and take notes. And pause it and listen. Number eight, don't pack their backpack. <gasps> what? Let them pack their own backpack. Let them carry their own backpack. Again, you're teaching responsibility. Now, these are what experts are saying. Don't bring, um, uh, let's see, uh, they said don't peel their banana. If they're five years old, quit peeling their banana. Give them the banana, let them peel it themselves. 
Number nine, teach uh, delayed gratification. In other words, don't immediately do what they want you to do. Give them that time in which they have to learn to be patient and to wait and not instant gratifications. Again, doctors are saying provide opportunities for boredom. I'm bored. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Give them opportunities to be bored. Give them opportunities to awaken creativity. Stop entertaining them. Stop using tech devices to keep them busy to cure their boredom. Use the meal, use car, use restaurants as a place and for social interaction. Number 10, parents turn off your phones until the kids are in bed at least. Invest into your children. Number 11, parents be child's emotional coach. Teach them to recognize, to deal with anger and how to control it. Frustration, last one, connect emotionally, smile, hug, kiss, read, dance, jump, cry, uh, crawl with your kids. Isn't that great? So that's dangerous trends. That, that's, that's what you're dealing with. Now, secondly, if there's dangerous trends, secondly, as a parent, you're modeling or you're an example to your children. Now, I want you to take a right. Look at John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, you know Jesus was a great parent. And it's interesting because in John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. John 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped his towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Now everybody real quickly. You remember? In that Shona language in Zimbabwe, God puts around himself the flesh of man. God is in Christ reconciling him, his world, the world to himself. This is God on his knees, clothed in the flesh of man, washing the feet of his disciples. This is Jesus. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you not going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head, just wash me over, all, every bit of me. Jesus answered, a person who has, only has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean, you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now stay with me. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now parent, put your antennas up real high. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, underline it, dog ear this page. I have set you in the NIV what? An example that you should do as I have done. That is parenting. You know what John Maxwell said about leaders? Listen to what he said. He said, he, he wrote a book called The Leader's Greatest Return. It's a fantastic model for a parent of young children. Now watch what he said. As a leader, I do it. Then I do it and you are with me. Third, you do it and I am with you. Fourth, you do it. Fifth, you do it and someone else is with you. Does that make sense? You see, if you're a parent of young children, if you're a parent today, first of all, you do it and you're modeling it as an example in front of your children, a principle, something you want to teach them, a life lesson, or just let's say cleanliness, whatever it may be. I do it. Secondly, I do it and you're with me while I do it. Thirdly, you do it and I'm with you. Fourth, you do it, meaning your child does it, by themselves. You're not with them. You're, there, will, there will be a day when you are not with them. Let's take cleanliness. When I was at Mississippi State, I lived in a trailer. And I lived in a single wide trailer with the filthiest person on the earth. And I hope he's not listening. He didn't pick up nothing. He didn't clean nothing. He didn't clean the kitchen. He didn't pick up his clothes. He didn't do anything. Now, I'm, as kids say, a little anal. I'm a little OCD. I like things decently and in order, but God does too. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think 41 or 42. One day, the kitchen was a mess, clothes were everywhere, bathroom was a dump. And he was sitting... We had, we had this little kitchen, we had a little dining area, and it opened up into the living room. Sheila knows exactly what I'm talking about because she came there. And he's sitting on the couch playing his guitar, and he was, a, he was a civil engineer who was brilliant. He went to differential equations with a folded piece of paper stuck down in his pocket. He was brilliant. But he ended up dropping out. But he's sitting there, and he's playing his guitar. And I said something about the kitchen, and I had a frozen pot pie in my hand. Now, I'm about 200 pounds back then. I am a man's man. I worked out, uh, military, I mean, I was a man's man. So I'm sitting there with a frozen pot pie. And I'm getting ready to put that frozen pot pie in the oven, and I'm looking at all this junk. And about that time, he smarts off. Well, I turned around, and I threw that pot pie. It went, and he ducked out of the way, and it busted the paneling in the trailer behind his head. And I thought to myself, I could have killed this guy. Well, I don't even know how a lawyer would handle that college student killed by pot pies. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know what I know? You know what I know? His mom raised him to be filthy and dirty. And you know what I know? It caused him problems, may still cause him problems. You see, I do it, I do it, you're with me. You do it and I'm with you. You do it and then eventually you do it and someone else is with you. Now, who's that someone going to be one day? It's going to be their kids. 
You know, I walked into a restaurant. I mean, I walked into a public bathroom one time. My dad, this is how my dad walks into a men's bathroom. He lifts the lid with his foot. Okay? And uh, Ledger, Jeffrey, one of them was with me and dad. They may have both been with me. And I went in there, and I, I mean, I just instinctively lifted the lid of the toilet with my foot. And then one of my sons came in there. This is a miracle but they lifted the lid with their foot. And you may say, well, that's a little thing. Well, that was passed down generationally, just a little thing in how to behave. You see, everybody's saying today to be an effective parent, you need intentional parenting. And intentional means this, I look for, I look for teachable moments. I'm always looking for teachable moments and when I find those teachable moments, I invest in that moment. I'm plugged in. I'm trying to teach them something. And some of you are taking the responsibility of a niece or a nephew. You may be a grandparent. You're taking responsibility for your grandchildren. John Maxwell went on to make this statement. He said, be an example. Model for others what you want them to do. Jesus did this. He walks in. Now, these are a group of men that are arguing. They're arguing over who's the greatest. Who's going to be on his right and left hand when he gets into heaven? I mean, they're always trying to one-up one another. Jesus walks in there. Can you imagine this? Takes out his, takes off his outer garment, takes a pan of water, and then, now these were people back in those days, they're walking around in sandals. I mean, these are dirty men. These are dirty feet. And he gets down. Can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, cradling the feet of his disciples, even Judas Iscariot, and washing their feet. And then he takes, he takes a towel and he, and he dries their feet. Can you imagine having your feet washed by Jesus? Then what does he do? He goes, he puts his robe back on, he sits down, and he says, I want you guys to do the same thing. I want you to live your life sacrificially. I want you to serve each other. That's what I want you to do. And I don't want it to, I want you to be so humble that you're willing to humble yourself and do whatever you have to do to serve your brother. That is a life principle. Jesus said, wow, I got a great teachable moment here. Let me invest in this moment. He was very intentional. And I can tell you this much. Many a day those disciples looked down at their dirty feet and they remembered after the resurrection Jesus washed their feet. If you want your child to have a servant heart, have a servant heart. John Maxwell said this. He said, a leader to lead, listen to what he said, lead, L, learning, E, experience, A, applying, D, B, developing. What is he saying there? Listen to what he says. Developing yourself comes first because you cannot give what you do not have. Let me ask you something, parent. Are you boring? You know, people a lot of times ask about our home, ask about growing up. You know, we cut up a lot. We just laughed a lot. We joke around a lot. I mean, we still do. You know, a sense of humor. You know, Adrian Rogers said this. He said, dads ought to be men of faith. He said, dads ought to be fair. He said, dads ought to be fun. Are you a fun dad? Do you laugh with your children? You see, that's an important part of, of raising well-adjusted children. And so Maxwell said this. He said, telling your children to do what you haven't done yourself 
is not equipping your children, but it is bossing your children. Are you a boss rather than a parent? Shouting orders? He went on to make this statement. He said, leaders, real leaders, he said, they're always learning, they're always experiencing, they're always applying, they're always developing, and they're always trying to give you what they're learning, what they're experiencing, what they're applying, and what they're developing in their own life. They're trying to give it to you. That's what parenting is. Parent, let me ask you something. Are you learning any lessons in life? And let me ask you a question. Do you ever tell your child what you're learning? Do you ever look at your child and say, you know, I tell you, God's really been teaching me something here lately. And I want you, or, you know, I've been, I've been experiencing something or I had an experience the other day. Do you talk to your children as if they are adults or are you going to talk to them like they're uh, imbeciles that have no comprehension and can't understand what you're saying? Madeline de Levine, a PhD, wrote a book called Ready or Not, Preparing Our Kids to Thrive in an Uncertain and Rapidly Changing World. She made this statement. She said, she said children's natural instinct at childhood is to avoid things that make them afraid or make them anxious. But if they do, they can't develop, they can't continue to develop courage and content, competency. If you allow a child to give in to their fears, then my friend, you've, you've crippled them throughout their life. Right? You know, a parent came up to me and said, Brother Jeff, I need to talk to you for a minute. I could tell you, Daddy is upset. He said, man, my little girl went out through softball. The first, first ball that came to her, pow, hit her right in the face and knocked her good, good. And he said, I'm so angry with that coach. <laughs> now, he didn't get mad at the coach. You know what his question was? What do you think it was? She don't want to play. He said, what do I do? I said, never, ever give in to fear. If nothing else, make her go out there and just hang around. And uh, make her sit with the team on the bench. Let her come to terms with that fear. Let her process. Let her work through it. Let her learn from it. And after a period of time, if she still wants to quit, then, then, then let her quit. But never let your child give in to anxiety and fear and not face that fear. You're the parent. What does it go back to? I do it. You're with me when I do it. You do it, I'm with you. You know what parenting is? Eventually you're facing a fear and you're helping them to face the fear with you. you. You know, you're helping them. You're coming alongside of them. Ages 13 to 17, one in three, ages 13 to 17 now struggle with major anxiety and 8.3%, nearly 10% of children today, 13 to 17, are severely impaired by anxiety. 
Those who spend their life studying disease made this statement. They said anxiety in our culture today has become a medical condition. It is a sociological condition that is a shared experience, a cultural experience that feeds on alarmist TV graphics that metastasizes to social media. In other words, our children are dealing with anxiety, and if it couldn't be worse, we got the news on. And we're letting them get on Facebook, and my friend who's on Facebook. Suicide rate is increased from 1999 to, 20, to 2016. This is 2016, that's higher now. 30%, the second leading cause of death, 15 to 35 years of age is suicide. Well, they need to be aware of what's going on in the, in, in the world. Yeah, after you filter it and explain it. Because I don't know about you, I, it's not 30 minutes of Walter Cronkite anymore. It's about two, two hours of bashing whatever party you don't line up with. It's not even good news anymore. Now, I know, I know I'm about out of time, but Jeffrey, don't come in here wherever you are. I kind of sometimes feel like he's peering in on me. Let me, let, me, let me just say, and I've got to close, and my watch is telling me to breathe. <laughs> Anxiety leads to avoidance. Parents, you can hurt and damage your children by helping your children develop an evidence of anxiety anytime they face anything new. This can start by making them go to bed at night. Well, I'm scared. When kids are scared and they don't want to go to bed, what do you say? Well, then come in here and just get in our bed. Mistake. Trying new foods. Developing a taste for healthy eating. Let me give you one here. Listen to this one. Young people, stay with me. You'll be here one day. And you're probably already giving your parents fits, so listen anyway. What to do? Child says, Mom, Dad, I'm scared there's a monster in my closet. Many parents would say, well, then come, come on, get in the bed with, with your mom and dad. Come on here and get in the bed with me. Which means that they don't confront their fear. They don't process the probability of there being a monster in the closet. Parent. Child says, Mom, there's a monster in my closet. Dad, there's a monster in my closet. The parent goes in, calm, and says, there's somebody in your closet? Now, notice you didn't say monster, you said what? Because there's no such thing as monsters. There's somebody in your closet? Did you check? And they go, no, I'm, I'm too scared to check. You check. Okay, well, come on, let's go see if there's a monster in the closet. Now, there's no time for Dad to play a joke. You open the closet, both of you standing there together, you look around, you pilfer around because it may be a mess, and no, there's no, no monster, there's nobody in your closet. Next night, Mom, Dad, there's a monster in my closet, and, and I'm still scared. I don't, I, I don't want to open the door. Well, let's do it together. Come on, let's go. We'll, we'll do it together. Let's go look. Well, there's nobody in your closet. And you may say, well, this isn't silly of me. Well, your child is facing and developing and processing their fear, and they're learning there is no such thing as a monster. Number two, they learn to face their fears, and they begin to mature, mature and to grow. 
and after a while, you're, you're hollering to them, um, Junior, would you go check Maxine's closet for monsters? No, I've, I, I've got a close. You may say, well, Brother Jeff, you know, this has been just a hodgepodge. I don't, yeah, you're right. You have to go back and listen to something like this again and work through and process how this affects you as a parent. You know what Reggie said last week? Reggie said last week, he said, thank you, Brother Jeff. He said, this makes me want to go home and think through how I parent. Now, if, a, if your pastor is saying that, I think you and I need to be saying it as well. Let me close with this. And I'm just out of time, and I appreciate you being patient. Your child is a mirror. And I want you to hear me. Your child is a mirror. And I read this story. Well, I heard this. Ravi Zacharias told this story. He said years ago, in the year 2000, he said the Russians were releasing, a pris releasing political prisoners. They had a man who was uh, a man by the name of Andres Thomas. Andres Thomas was just speaking this gibberish. And so this man has been in prison for 55 years in solitary confinement. So think about that. Over half a century, 55 years in solitary confinement, he's a Hungarian. The Russians in 2000 were allowing him to be released from 1945 to this moment. It's the year 2000. They want to put him in a psychiatric ward. They just want to commit him. They just say he's crazy. But then somebody said, well, why don't we bring in somebody who's an expert in the Hungarian language? It could be. So they go in, and this guy's speaking an ancient Hungarian dialect. So they realize this guy is brilliant. He's very smart. So they take this man who's been 55, year, 55 years in solitary confinement. They put him in a wheelchair, and a man who speaks this language asks him, what do you want? 55 years. He hasn't seen his face since he was 20 years old. He's now 75. What do you want? He said, I want a mirror. Here's this man sitting in a wheelchair, and they bring him a mirror. 55 years, he's never seen another human being, possibly, but he hasn't seen his face. The last time he saw his face, he was 20 years old, now he's 75. And he looks at it for just a moment, and then he screams, take it away, take it away. He starts screaming. I had a mom who's no longer in this church, sat down in my office. She looked at me and she just cried. She said, Brother Jeff, my grown son is bringing so much heartache in my life that I find myself wishing that he were dead. tragedy would be to raise a child, not invest, not plug in, not, not invest that time, not be intentional in your parenting, not taking the time to spend and, 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 and develop and grow them so that they become responsible and great citizens and are transitioning from childhood to adulthood, but instead you've got a child that you would be like a mother and go, you know, they bring such heartache in my life, just take them away. 
when I read that about Andres Thomas, I thought to myself, I thought he was saying, take the mirror away. Some parents would say, I just want my child out of my life. They bring so much heartache. Let me tell you something. A lot of times children bring heartache because the parents did the right thing, but sometimes parents do the wrong things. Young parents, I'm telling you, do not compromise in those developmental years. There is nothing more important than the raising of your children. And you may, be another, you may be a parent here and you don't like this. Reality is you've got a grown child that's giving you heartache and pain. Let me tell you something. You need to repent. You need to repent. Some parents need to sit down with a grown child and say, I tell you what, you may never invite me into your home again. You may be angry at me when I finish. But number one, I want you to know something. I made some mistakes and I'm repenting of them now. I want to tell you what I did wrong. I can tell you what I did wrong. I invested in sports more than I did our relationship. I wanted you to be a great student, but I didn't worry about us having a friendship. And when you became a teenager and you begin to rebel and you begin to run your, with your peers, I just basically washed my hands of it and said, let, let, well, I did the best I could. And you just let them go. Or I was living with a closet alcoholic. I was living with a man or a woman on pornography or I was sleeping around promiscuous in the office, or I was doing some things that eventually I know you know about, and I want you to know I'm sorry. And if you're a mom here and you're having to cover for dad, you don't excuse dad. Quit that. Stop that. You quit excusing dad and making up reasons why he's a worthless imbecile that doesn't take time to step up and be the man God's called him to be. You don't excuse his behavior. You look at that son or daughter, and they may be grown, and you may say, I want you to know something. Your dad was wrong. He dumped all of this on me. And it wasn't right. And I don't blame you for feeling the way you do. And a dad may have to say that about a mom. Sometimes we need to repent. We need to come clean to our children, and we need to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we may have to ask for forgiveness of the other parent because they don't. God loves you too much. This world is too dangerous. Social and cultural trends are shifting to the degree they are becoming your enemies. Do not fall into that trap. Now let's stand and let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, we love you. And Lord, I know this message has been long and I've, I've poured a lot into it. Lord, all these stats, all these statistics, all these trends and cultural trends and sociological issues that we face, psychological development, problems that we're seeing, so many things, dear Lord, require the research and the time to invest for me to put it out here. And parents can just simply let it go over the top of their head, go back into their world that they live in, oblivious to the changes of their culture, the social shifts that are taking place and in time lose their children to the very culture that the Bible warns them about. So Lord, I pray that parents will go back and they'll take a moment, maybe a man or a woman, a husband, a wife, a, a mom and a dad, and sit down and say, let's, let's think through this. As Reggie said so well last week, I want to go home and process this and begin to, to look at my own parenting. If a man of God like Reggie can do that, then Lord, that is a challenge for every one of us to do the same.
Lord, may we understand that we can never lead children if we have not been led ourselves. And the best one to lead us is Jesus. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we begin to walk with you, Lord, you begin to speak into our heart the counsel that we need to raise our children. And there will be times when, Lord, I've heard you say to me, you need to calm down. You, are, you sound harsh. You, you need to not be so afraid. You need to be strong and courageous. There were times when the Lord would say, you need to apologize. Boy, going in there, sitting down at the bedside of a small child and saying, Dad was wrong. Mom was wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Dads need to be transparent with teenage sons. Sons, I, pornography is a battle for every man. Son, I'm having to do this, do that. And son, I'm, it's, it's a battle for dad. Son, it's going to be a battle for you. You and I are going to go through this together. Lord, I pray that if there's a man or a woman, a parent, who's here today that has never given their heart and their life to you today, that they would repent of their sin give you their life, if there's a parent here today who's not been walking with you, that you'll bring conviction and brokenness and repentance. And Lord, that we would be saved. And secondly, that we would walk with you every day. I said it last week, a cup of coffee and an open Bible on a table or by the chair of a dad or a mom is all oh, such a powerful testimony and it should never be picked up. Lord, we love you. We pray that you guide this invitation in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come. If you just want to spend a moment at this altar and pray.